Welcome everybody to episode two of NACOR Consulting Presents Organisational Resilience, episode two with Dr. Gabrielle Schneider. My name is Catherine Strodz and I am absolutely thrilled to have Gav on our show today. I will pass it over to Gav to introduce himself. Go ahead. Thanks, Gav. Thanks for having me. So my background, I originally started my career in the world of security as a professional close protection officer and uh, started my first business now, now more than 20 years ago. And currently I'm the CEO of the Risk2 Solution Group, which is a group of five companies that tackle everything to do with risk, safety, security, emergency response, technology, and training. And uh, I also am the program director for the Australian Catholic Uni's postgraduate program in the psychology of risk. So not many things you're doing at the moment, really, at all. You've got a lot of spare time. <laughs> Much like you. <laughs> You're the busiest person I've ever met. So thank you for making some time today for this. I'm absolutely thrilled. This is going to be a very interesting session because for our audience, I was a student of Gabs last year and I learned so much in just the one year in his course. And I recommend to anybody, psychology risk. It is not just for risk professionals or anyone that works in psychology. It is applicable to really every person out there, not even if an organisational perspective, even from a personal perspective. So can't, I could go on for hours about how amazing it is, but we're not here to do that today. But it starts on my first topic I'd love to discuss with you is explain your concept of resilience. Sure. So it's an interesting journey, Kath, and as I'm sure many of the listeners will relate to it's a tenuous frustration whether you're a risk person that also does business continuity and emergency management or a BCP and emergency specialist who has to incorporate risk. Uh, one of the, the, the biggest challenges we have is a multifaceted reality of the people we are trying to drive to perform in a resilient way are very often in denial that they need to actually be more prepared, be more ready and accept the fact that sometimes things go wrong. And the organization also very often sometimes doesn't see these sort of activities as core business until it's too late. So we found over the last five years of research and looking at all our service offerings, that really started with this idea of engagement. That if, if staff and people don't actually care and aren't engaged, you could have the best uh, software, the best policy procedure system, you could even have the best training. Go wrong, none of it will work. So it led us on a journey of how do we get people engaged and how do we switch them on so we can perform better and develop true organizational resilience, which has been an output of our research into psychology of risk and enhanced decision making. So really what we found is there's a, a building blocks or stepping stone process to where and how resilience becomes important. Most organizations do the bare minimum they have to to not get in trouble, which is really just a compliance based approach. A compliance breach approach, you know, is fine as long as nothing goes wrong and fine as long as there's no innovation or disruption happening in your sector, which me and you both know is not the reality for any business or any government department in the modern age. Oh, not at all. <laughs> so the, the next up from that is this concept of resilience. And resilience is a, is a great leap forward from the compliance mindset because we then accept that things might go wrong and we have to be able to bounce back. So the, you know, the leap from compliance to resilience is the one of overcoming denial and accepting that, you know, we, we need to build in redundancies and make sure we can keep going. The problem with 
the resilience mindset is it's become overwhelmed with redundant based planning. So we get plans for plans and plans about plans that never get exercised, never get tested, are never really based on uh, an holistic to all hazards approach. So in essence, we've accepted stuff goes wrong, but the solutions we apply don't really add value, which is, which is a frustration I know for a lot of BCP experts who put you know, hundreds of hours into building very robust BCP plans, but when they actually have to come into play, they, they often don't work because they haven't been widely accepted or tested. So this, in, this enters the next phase resilience, where our aim is not simply to be compliant or to be resilient, in other words, bounce back or return to where we were before something disruptive happened. It's how do we continuously drive a mindset of, of, of improvement? How do we bounce back better than we were before? How are we constantly looking for ways to improve what we do, how we do it, and how we perform. So this is the interesting piece, right? You can't have a resilience mindset unless you actually already have ticked off the other two, which is a significant challenge we find for a lot of organizations who are just not used to thinking in an agile way and having a continuum of development. Does that make sense? Oh, definitely. Well, it does to me, and I hope it, I'm sure it does to the audience too, as Unfortunately, as you correctly stated, that organisations just looking at that compliance-based model of ticking those boxes and having something in place, but it just doesn't work. And as you said, look, people that work in business continuity, like myself, feel like smashing our head against a wall at times because we put hours and hours into documentation and try our best to engage and get traction to make sure that's going to work. But when you don't get that that particular engagement, it just falls apart and you feel like you've just wasted hundreds of hours of your time. And the hard part is, in essence, you actually have wasted that time because all the work you've done won't actually help the organisation when it needs it. Oh, and they probably blame you too because it didn't work. It's your fault because you wrote the thing. So it's interesting. It's, that creates the segue for, you know, how. It's great to understand why, and why is very simple, right? We're now in this volatile, complex, and ambiguous operating context as our default setting. Journey from, you know, the first industrial age to what's been referred to now as the fourth industrial revolution, where AI and robotics are embedded in the way we do business. We've seen the shift where a lot of our conventional management processes and systems were built for an outdated model. Right now, where things are VUCA, we need a different skill set. And the manifestation of that different skill set is this resilience approach. So it's not a replacement for things like resilience or organizational resilience. Rather, it is the advanced level of applying that based on where we are in the global economy. So, you know, the, the conventional resilience principles of you know, uh, understanding where our weak points and vulnerabilities are, coming up with strategies to strengthen those weak points or vulnerabilities, and then planning for the most likely incident that may disrupt us is a fundamental piece. The problem with that model in its own right is that no matter how effectively we plan, something may happen that we couldn't plan for. And happens might happen in a way we couldn't visualize or prepare for which comes back to the idea of in the resilience mindset, we focus on building 
the core skills of as many stakeholders as possible to enable them to contribute, perform, and add to our effective response or innovation, because it might not always be managing it, it might also be seizing an opportunity. So the how we do it is, a, is, is quite different to many other things. Now, obviously, as you, you've experienced in your career, Kat, and I'm sure many of the listeners have too, there are many people that are born with a more natural ability to uh, you know, weather tough situations. So they have this natural resilience, natural leadership capability. Most people don't have that natural leaning, particularly in first world countries like Australia, where for the most part, the primary risks that could hurt us have been well managed by the state for many years. Until COVID, we 30 years of not having any type of crisis at all in a station, it was very easy for especially my generation we haven't had we this is the first time we've actually come across anything that's actually threatened our lives or or and our livelihoods at all 100 percent. so you know and this is the important part when we start talking about where we are and where we need to go to uh it's, it's not about allocating blame because blame doesn't help you move forward it's about an open and honest look at where we are and where we need to be and Unfortunately, where we are in Australia, while thank goodness the economy is strong and it's an amazing place to live in, the majority of the workforce, you know, this COVID era is the first time they've really experienced hardship, you know, where we have to take salary cuts or people have lost their jobs. And, you know, particularly for the millennial workforce who have really had the pick of any job they wanted to do and have had the mindset that the employer should be very grateful that they're there working. This is a shift, but it's a positive shift. I think it's going to hopefully build some resilience in some of those millennials. I, I think back to Simon Sinek, Beach on, um, on millennials in the workforce. I think we watched in your class about how millennials have got the encouragement awards. Everyone was given a prize just for turning up and you can do anything. You're the best. So you go to the workforce after two weeks of being employed. Where's my promotion? Where's my pay rise? And if you don't give me a pay rise, well, I'll just get another job. So this is hopefully going to be a bit of a reality check. Prepared if something goes wrong. Do people have savings that can get them through a few months of unemployment? I've always done my best to try and make sure I've had built-in funds. I don't want to be living paycheck to paycheck in case things like this happen. And I don't think a lot of the millennials, and I sound quite harsh on them, but not all their fault something like this goes wrong and all of a sudden, wow, what do we do next? So it's interesting. And this this is, you know, while we've seen, and we've just spoken about some of the challenges facing millennials, obviously the challenges for boomers and some Gen Xs is, you know, the the fact that, you know, we we were digital migrants as opposed to digital natives. So technology side and the remote work and all those other things is, you know, equally challenging for the older generation. Part of the challenge we've really got now is accepting what are the skill sets we need in the modern world to perform effectively. Because we can go on and on about planning, but you know, the best plan in the world is useless unless it's implemented uh, effectively based on the scenario that aligns to that plan. Building the core skill sets is really important. And again, it's not really worth a discussion of you know, hold on, this piece sits in business continuity or this piece sits in emergency management or this piece is resilience. If we accept the fact that at the very least, every emergency management and risk management expert should be embracing resilience. They should be adapting the risk, uh, the emerging risks, 
and they should be building skill sets in themselves, their teams, and their businesses to be able to make the best possible decisions and perform effectively. So, so that's the default, right? Organizations accept that. Then we have to look at how. So the how really starts. COVID has shown us that there's really four layers of how. The first one is the individual, which you alluded to earlier with your excellent example of, you know, we need to take some ownership of our own financial risk. And just but one example, right, because that can be, you, you cited financial, but that could also be employability, physical and mental health. The, the list can just go on around what makes a constructive, productive human. Well, even retraining, it, you're saying that everything's there's going to be jobs aren't going to exist in a few years and there's going to be these jobs that we don't even know of popping up in the near future. So it's a VUCA time at the moment and it's something that really does come into personal resilience. So let's talk about the personal stage. How are you effectively going to lead or manage others or drive an organisation or any of the other things that come with promotion and career development? There's a fundamental skills that we all as individuals need to have. And you know, the first one for us is start fundamentally with this idea of situational awareness, vigilance, and mindfulness. And if we don't even know what's happening around us, how can we make good decisions? And if I focus my limited energy in the correct way at the correct time, how am I going to pace myself and not burn out and manage mental health issues? And the mm -hmm. vigilance piece specifically comes around loading the subconscious with the key threat areas so that we're looking for the right things. We're not just trying to look for everything. So that's the starting point. But it then evolves into the mental piece, which is a combination of a few variables. But it, it's great to be aware, but we have to understand it. And that becomes a process of sense making. Now, how do I make sense of the data I collect of what's happening in the world around me? How do I attribute the right meaning? So COVID is a really interesting example because on an individual level, you know, if, I, if I'm the center, man, uh, sorry, if I'm a uh, store manager for Woolworths, my experience of COVID is significantly different to somebody who lost their part-time job and is unemployed, which is significantly different to, for example, a legislator or somebody in government who was trying to, you know, steer the right response and is used to making decisions over months or years and now has to make them in minutes. The personal skill set is, is significantly different to what it was previously. For people to thrive historically, the skill sets were really twofold. One was either you're going to become a worker and you're going to develop a specialist vocation and that's all you're going to do for life. Or the other was you're going to become a manager and you're going to make sure workers do their job. And people stayed in those jobs for their whole career. They would work in a factory and that was where they'd retire. It's just a huge fundamental change in the last couple of generations. Yeah, that, that change then has to re requires a different way of thinking. When we build the individual skill set, you know, if the first layer is situational awareness, mindfulness and vigilance, the second layer is multifaceted. It's emotional intelligence, which as Daniel Goleman describes, you know, is a set of skills and attributes that enable us to perform in the social environments which most of us operate in. And we shouldn't get confused just because we're socially isolated working from home doesn't mean we're still not working together. You know, I think this is the interesting challenge we've got around enhanced communication and the sophistication of communication that we know we've all had that email where you read the email and interpret intent into the email that is not necessarily what it was supposed to be. And that's why you're in frame of mind, though, too. You might feel like you're in a bad mood and you read it differently if you're in a great mood. Absolutely. So. Part of the challenge then 
comes down to this idea of self-knowledge or self-awareness. Because if I don't even know my own strengths and weaknesses and can effectively manage them, how can I mold myself to be effective in the different scenarios that I'll face? So a lot of the complication around how to make that happen comes down to motivation. And, you know, this, this is where one of those core concepts we found as the concept of resilience has evolved more, we find there's a few underpinning attributes, but one of those underpinning attributes is this idea of persistence. It doesn't help to just do the right thing occasionally. I need to be able to consistently do the right thing. And let's just take a few examples in the modern emergency management world. Uh, so we've become fire-centric in many of our responses. As, as you'd be well aware, mm -hmm. you know, we're mandated to make sure we have yep. fire drills and have fire wardens and all these other realities. When was the last major fire? You bring the BCA mm -hmm. into it with everything has to have sprinklers anyway. It's, the, it's a textbook example of why a compliance mindset is not good enough in the modern world. Because the compliance mindset says, what do I have to do to stay compliant? Oh, I have to have a fire warden. I have to run a drill, a drill twice a year. What's, how do I have to run the drill? Oh, it's a simulated evacuation. That's the easiest one to do. Okay, let's just tick the box and move on. Let's tell every man and the dog it's happening so they're all ready to go or they're already evacuated or they decide to leave the building prior for coffee. Exactly right. So if the idea of resilience is to front-end load the right response in the right situation, then, in fact, the compliance approach does the opposite because it gets people native to responding under stress. And we've got a massive shift that we have to drive into the Australian workforce holistically, which is that that concept of creating a safety net around our staff is wonderful. But if we do that to the point of not actually building the resilience piece, the ability to actually go, oh, I know how to cope with stress or I can deal with something hard and I can keep moving. We don't build our people. We just create the illusion that our people are built. When things go wrong, they break. Unfortunately, I've experienced that way too much. And I think I remember discussing with you last year a problem in an organisation I worked where it was all of my hand-holding and making sure that everybody felt comfortable and, and okay. And we didn't want to be disturbing anyone's day. So certain things that really do need to be practised were just pushed aside. So, so let's go back a little bit and keep building on that. Uh, so we've found over the years that we've, we've got a product called Switch On. And we, we, we can call it anything you want, general safety and security awareness, it's personal risk. It doesn't really matter what you call it. The concept is around how do we provide the basic skills for every person who is going to work in your organization to scan their environment, identify what's happening around them, assess what's happening around them, come up with a plan to manage a negative incident and have the ability to mentally rehearse or practice that plan so they can apply it under pressure. Those, those skill sets are generic and every single person should have them. And if we don't, as organizations, build those skill sets into our people, on, on, you might be compliant in terms of the letter of a regulation or a code of conduct, but you're certainly not doing the right thing by your people in your organization. So if we can't even get that part right, moving up to the next level of the Brazilian ladder, which is if I'm able to develop the skill sets in individuals, then how do we drive high-performing teams or groups? So that becomes, you know, how do we grow our leaders and how do we evolve our leaders to have influence and communicate effectively, not just in the business as usual state, but also, as we see now, in the crisis or emergency state. 
And I think what COVID is, we spoke on our mini conference not long ago, highlighted, he's the chief risk officer of the VMIA, highlighted his frustration in operations where he felt his organization was exceptionally well prepared for a quick, sharp, hard crisis or for BAU, where COVID <laughs> has been neither of those. And it's been yep. <laughs> in the middle, which none of the documents and the planning and all the other structures actually applied for. So even very mature organizations with great people are still getting disrupted when things happen. How organizations need to cope with that is we need to build those influencers and leaders to the point that they can step up and they can take response. And me and you have discussed a few times the idea of David Grossman's sheepdog analogy. Now, we need to foster that sheepdog capability. And the biggest mistake we've made with our three lines of defense model and, and the other audit and assurance models that kick in is we haven't properly empowered the real first responder or the real first line of risk mitigation, which is the individual. It's everyone. Yes. You know, so should high performance. So should be doing your job. Exactly. So should good decision. So all of pieces intersect. But the way we need to focus on growing our influencers, champions, and leaders is exactly that. What we tend to find is that people get promoted in the industrial age modeling based on two reasons. One, they either don't mess up. So there's the perception that they're good at their job because they haven't made a mess. And because they're good at their job, they're going to get that, which me and you have both seen in many cases could just mean somebody was exceptionally lazy and didn't make mistakes or hid their mistakes or covered them up. Definitely seen that. Do you, oh, the longevity. Look, hey, they've been there long enough. Let's put them as a manager. So. Then we have the negative fallout. Weren't skilled, capable, or even willing to respond effectively to the management functions into those positions. And I'll, I'll link this back to emergency management shortly. Um, th the next challenge with that old model was also that it wasn't just that we appointed people who didn't make mistakes. We also appointed those people that used to, that, that uh, an effective enough job in standing out. And most of the time they did trampling on others, pulling others down, taking the credit for other success. Because in the industrial age thinking, you know, there, there was very, there's a very limited pool of supervisors, managers, and leaders that could evolve up. So as pyramid narrows closer to the top, it gets more and more competitive. I'm seeing the five levels of tribal leadership exactly coming up right. here. So, so part of the challenge we've got when we look at that, that methodology, and then we get frustrated with our leaders, it's not their fault. You know, these were people who were taught to manage or do a job, not to lead. And it's important for us to get this balance between leadership and management. You know, the modern leader should be able to do both. They should really embrace, as me and you've discussed before, the ability to be tactical and strategic, not just one or the other. We've seen some great successes, but we've also seen some epic fails of leadership and tactical and strategic intersection during COVID. You know, this is one of the, the interesting pieces that... As we build our leaders for the future, it's not just about their ability to inspire and motivate under stress. It's also about their ability to coordinate, delegate, and arrange resources to achieve an outcome, which is the management side. So it's not really a competition between leadership and management. It's about growing both skill sets, but also our people accepting the fact that we have to build both of them and where the concept of risk intelligence really comes into play. While risk intelligence is built at the lowest fundamental level, and as you know, we define risk intelligence as a living skill and applied attribute to enable us to seize upside opportunity and manage downside threat, it's that skill set that has to be built and enhanced and developed continuously.
And it's one of the things that really frustrates me when we do a lot of the uh, risk culture or switch on work in larger corporates. The perception is, you know, you come in, you do a program, they can tick the box and then you leave. Where in reality, it should be a continuous ongoing process of development to embed those skills, enhance them and make them habitual within our workforces. Correct. In a year's time, you should actually even be 100%. And, and this is where we found when we look at the journey of, let's say you, you're a compliance-based organization, you wanted to be resilient. Uh, you know, there, there, there is a process you can go through to get there, but that process in many ways is not a simple cut and paste lineal process because every business is in different places and their people will be in different places and their mindset will be different. They'll have different strengths, different weaknesses, and also obviously different opportunities and threats. So, you know, while there are things you can build to enhance performance, and we, we really put that into three primary categories in that middle grouping. We want directive and effective communication. We want effective applied critical thinking, and we want enhanced decision-making. Those are the skill sets that need to come into play when people are risk champions, leaders, etc. And those are the exact skill sets that need to underpin any incident manager's portfolio or emergency manager's portfolio. If an, an IM or an EM manager was not an amazing, effective, directive communicator, couldn't critically think, and could not make effective decisions under pressure, they're in the wrong job. We question who actually put well, them in that job to start with. We've got, right? And you would have seen this yeah. with, uh, uh, and this kind of takes it to the next level, where we're moving on from these individuals if we look, and teams. If we look at an organization, most of the time, you know, that when it's a serious crisis or an incident or emergency that is deemed a crisis, then, you know, we activate our crisis management frameworks and we kick it all in. Mm -hmm. But very often the people who sit at the top of the food chain you know, most of them are not actually well equipped to deal with the stresses of crisis response. 100%. There's usually the goes a senior director or what organization you're in. They may be absolutely useless in a crisis. They may start fumbling. They may freeze and you get flight or fight response. And they may just run away from it. It's just unfortunately the majority of organizations I've seen over the years of consulting reminded of bureaucracy of the organization versus the actual appropriate Correct. people for so this is part of the challenge we've got to do is you know when it comes to something that's specialized like em or im it isn't for everybody you know at the top of the food chain some not everybody is well placed to you know effectively deal with stress deal with multiple stakeholders simultaneously um, be able to analyze huge amounts of data in a very quick period of time and be able to pass on orders or instructions in a very effective way quickly it's just one of those things that not everybody is built for. And they may be an amazing CEO, but they may be terrible under crisis pressure. It's, it's how quite it interesting. Is. So, in some of the work we're doing on the EM and IM development side, what we're finding interesting is we've been trying to introduce psychometric evaluations into the capability development. And we're getting a lot of pushback on that, um, which, which is kind of interesting because if you get proper psychometric measurements in place, before you place people into these positions, we can end up saving a lot of money by not necessarily having to train people who we go to the job or who don't want to do the job in the first place. I'm surprised. I thought they'd be yeah, really too. onto that. 
And because psychometric testing is becoming more um, well prominent in large and it's organizations. Interesting. This goes to the other challenge when we look at the organizational level that of silo busting. That you know, while, while from a yeah. perspective we might be all over psychometric testing, once the person's been through that and been hired, for some reason it seems to transition to well now they're hired and it's a uh, it's a discriminatory practice then to make them go through something at that point, which is absolutely insane. Psychometric testing can also be a great tool to be able to understand how to actually relate to your team members and find out, okay, well, this person is a very task-oriented person, they're an introvert. There's advice then of how to effectively collaborate together without clashing. It should be seen more as an advantage rather than a very invasion of privacy. Let's keep going with this idea of uh, outdated industrial age thinking because that's, again, one of those legacies that in the industrial age evolution of management, we, we got into a state of what we've started referring to as over-engineered hyper-specialization, where everybody had, you know, had to find their niche and become this expert in a very specific aspect because that was how you got a job for life. But in the VUCA world, that doesn't work anymore. We need to actually shift back more and more to being generalists, particularly when we're leading organizations. And this is the interesting mm -hmm. piece that I think the resilience at the organizational level, if that is our mindset, then it's about continuously building our people at all levels to make the best possible decisions and perform in the best possible way based on what's happening around them at a given time. It's far more integrated from a lifetime response perspective than the more outdated models that focus on a three to five year plan and said, we implement our three to five year plan. And that is what it is. Strategy and tactics have merged in a way in the modern world that we're still coming to terms with. Uh, and it was shared with me from a colleague in the military not too long ago. They, they've started using the word tactical in the intelligence circles. Yeah, a combination of strategic tactical. and tactical okay. to try and make sure that as the uh -huh. leaders climb up the food chain, they don't lose touch with what's going on on the bottom levels of their organization. But conversely, if somebody at the bottom of the organization saw a strategic opportunity to improve the way something's done, they should have the ability to influence and do that. One of the challenges we've got is our conventional modeling, even if we look you know, modern governance, so we now realize way organizations are governed and run, most sit on a board, they are out of touch with what really happens in a business. And if we look at siloing, you know, siloing is not just um, vertical, it's also horizontal. You can't count how many silos and can this actually is part of exist. And right? Is that we are already in a hyper-network world. And, we, and COVID is a textbook example of that. Uh, we've seen there's several different manifestations, I guess, is probably the best way to, to describe the way COVID has hit us. So the most direct one is obviously the health implications. But then we've seen the psychological mm -hmm. implications. And we've seen the economic implications, and we're obviously seeing the social implications. And when we look at each of those different categories, which brings us to the fourth level of the resilience mindset, which is looking at things from a societal perspective. So we assume that at the bottom, this four-tiered structure, I'm looking at this model only from individual performance and how do I manage myself to do better? How do I build my mindset? The next level up is how do I drive others in teams or groups to be able to do that. The third level up is how do we get organizations to do it? And then the fourth is society. 
you know, we're very blessed and lucky in Australia that we've had this runway of 30 years of continuous economic success, which is enabling us to weather this outbreak better. And we also are lucky that we're in Ireland. But we shouldn't take away from, you know, effective early response and effective measures being put in place by the governments to manage this challenge we've got. I think the big piece now, as we move to the recovery side of things, is are we going to recover with the in place? Are we going to comply, you know, recover with the resilience mindset in place? Or are we going to be able to step up to that higher level of resilience thinking, which is how do we actually come back better? You know, I, I hope and pray that it's not be a default where we go back to where we were before, because my view before was roughly along the lines of, I'd say, 80% of businesses and government departments in Australia were 100% were 100 compliance focused. I'll say I would have said 90%, so it's, I was quite pessimistic, but I'm, I'm actually feeling quite positive about the outcome from some of the opportunities that are going to come from COVID, and I think, I think there's going to be some great change. And totally agree. First time feeling optimistic about something, and I do think that it's going to fundamentally change the way that organisations run this particular area. They'll take resilience more seriously, but when we talk about leadership, just looking at these resilience models and not just from an organisation perspective, but looking at from the staff level and the individual level, I really do have hope that opportunities are going to really make a difference. And hopefully in 10 years' time, we can say, look, it was an awful thing that happened, but look, we've made such leaps Absolutely. and bounds. So let's just think about this for a, a second or two. So the best part of where we're at now is that the wider population has accepted the fact that VUCA is real and that most of our perceived safety blankets were exactly that they were perceived. So in other words, job security is a perception, health security is a perception, economic stability is a perception, unless you've taken time to make it a reality and build it. So we, we, we're now at the point where I believe people are going to be primed to be looking for new knowledge and new skills. And, you know, the risk leader, and I'm talking generically about risk, but as, as because, you know, something like emergency management, that's, you know, a specialist vocation within the broader range of risk, um, that we need to make sure our professionals embrace these opportunities and we don't keep getting stuck in the outdated lineal models of, you know, we build, we build a generic plan for scenarios that we know we can deal with anyway and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because we rehearse the same scenarios all the time and then we think those are the things that we're fire where we've probably already got enough mitigation where it's actually no longer a relevant risk for most you know let's say most businesses bushfires are an exception which is a different topic to talk about internal fires in a building though it's impossible now with the compulsory sprinkler systems and all the different so, mitigation so let's keep methods going now, right so it's one of my mind. frustrations in building this resilience mindset is who cares what you call it right it, it could be called a performance improvement program it could be called a risk culture program it could be an incident mm -hmm. emergency management development capability program who cares right about building the skill sets within ourselves and our people and our leadership to be able to respond to unexpected or disruptive events effectively and bounce back better. That's what we're after, right? Uh, so the good news now, people are primed for it. So I'd be urging anybody listening to this podcast, this is the time to be switching your mindset to that of opportunity and be thinking about how do you make an impact now? 
this is a time where emergency and risk people might be able to get budget where historically they could never get budget to do anything. This is the chance because we've had COVID, bushfires, royal commissions, all these other things, you know, asking for a budget to build capability, build the skill sets in yourself and others around you, investing in uh, software that can enable you to get better data and manage data under crisis more effectively. Uh, all of these things are opportunities that are right in front of us now. If we as a sector of you know, risk and emergency specialists don't embrace that, the challenge we've got is for better or for worse, while COVID has been an exceptionally harsh response, it takes a long time to change habits, as you well know. And we had enough embedded time driving the correct behaviors to change habits. So the high likelihood is the second people can get back to where we were, they're going to as quickly and as aggressively as possible go back to the way we behaved before COVID. Exactly so, yeah, strike right. while the iron's hot. It's also why a lot of organisations really only get involved in risk and resilience and really good, capable crisis and emergency management because they've had a disaster. I think of the resource companies, the, the, the ones that have the best systems out there and the, the most resources and the wide variety of scenario-based exercises are the ones that have had And this is the opportunity, the right? We've all had a case study now that we can learn from. What we should be doing is a hindsight, insight, foresight model to drive great decision-making. Make sure we get the most out of the hindsight part and make sure we can actually analyze what we did, how we did it, was it effective, wasn't, where, where are areas for opportunity? And uh, as you know, the biggest challenge with that is managing cognitive bias and heuristic default settings where, yes. you know, if people perform very poorly, it will be somebody else's fault or if, you know, they performed well, mm -hmm. they'll claim the success or change the narrative depending on, on, on what suits them. So it's an interesting opportunity now for us to look and go, right, we got hit with something that we didn't expect. Even for those businesses that did expect it, the way different to how we thought it would go looking at SARS and some of the others. We should be very careful now not to fixate just on a COVID or pandemic response because the challenges we're going to face moving forward, uh, honestly, I believe what yeah, I believe will eclipse of COVID. So, economic frustration leads to desperate behaviour, increases fraud, increases antisocial behaviour, will increase things like domestic violence. We've already seen all the cybercrime challenges and fraud campaigns and all things going viral. Excuse the pun. You know, I think this is, this again goes back to the significant challenge and responsibility that risk emergency management and associated functions have. Uh, we have the skill sets. We need to share these skill sets and help evolve the way organizations, and when I say organizations, we're not just talking about business, right? We're talking about government. We're talking about community organizations to bounce back better. That's got to be our focus. Absolutely. Team your family to be resilient and ready for so they can feed their Absolutely. kids. Absolutely. And, you know, thank goodness we are most of us in Australia, where, you know, we, we, we've got a really good social system and the government is helping and all these other things, we, we're really lucky if we look at other parts of the world where there hasn't been this social net. Uh, you know, we, we are very, very lucky in Australia, which should enable us to focus more effectively on resilience. You know, we're not stuck in the survival-based mindset because most people, even the ones who've lost their job, 
they're still able to get enough money to live. Just a, a few, uh, I know we're getting to the end of the interview now, but you know, there's a whole bunch of free content, for example, we've pumped out on our online academy. You know, I urge people, take time, go have a look at that because we expand on a lot of these concepts a bit further. Uh, little things like we've taken our uh, situational stress response and our stress management and resilience building programs, which normally combined were about 100 bucks. We've made them $10. There's so much that people can do now and roll out into their organizations so that we are able to apply for resilience. Uh, in fact, we've got an organization now that's just taken all the stress management training and the online stuff, and they're about to roll it out to all the employees prior to coming back to work. So that so they're starting to give their employees oh, tools to self-manage stress so that they can come back in a way that they're able to perform. Things exist to, to push because, you know, an organization of 2,000 people at 10 bucks a head, you can train everybody right now in stress management. Uh, and that's yeah. one example. You know, there's a ton of free other stuff it's a bargain. That, that you can do. Yeah. Oh, the webinars are fantastic. If anyone's listening, I I was at the last webinar and every single session was was fantastic. It was actually based on COVID and <laughs> I wanted to keep going. It was half a day and I was like, why can't this be a whole day? Every single speaker Thanks, just Thanks, Catherine. Based, such based great on that, insight. you'll be glad to know we'll plan to and do another one perfect. probably mid-May mid looking at recovery as the focus. Two yes. thoughts to close off, Kath. So... Please join us in this journey of moving out of the compliance and into the involved, advanced resilience mindset where resilience is the default. You know, we're, we're not waiting for bad things to happen. We're developing the skills in ourselves and others and the attributes in ourselves and others. We're building our organizational systems to be able to be adaptive and agile. So we're ready for the opportunities and threats that could come tomorrow in a way we've never been before. And this, this is our chance to do it. And a chance really for people who might have felt frustrated in their jobs historically to become the superheroes. So please, uh, everyone listening to the podcast, please step up and own it. Reach out. Uh, happy to chat to you. Uh, yes. Kath, thanks for the opportunity. And well done on getting this podcast going. Oh, thank you so much again. So thankful and grateful. Every time I hear you speak, even several times listening to you, I still learn something new every time. And again, today I've learned some new things. Thanks. Please. And we keep evolving too. So this is the exciting part where we're at because I'm so excited to see what resilience can become once we get more mainstream buy-in for the concept. There's a lot of opportunity. I'm just watching a Simpsons episode yesterday just to finish off there, and they melded crisis yeah, and nice. opportunity for price opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, I'm going to use it for price opportunity. Thanks, Kath, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you again, and when I post this up, I'll also have your details for anyone that wants to get in contact. I'll put your email up and your LinkedIn Perfect. address. Thank you so much, and everyone, thank you for listening, and I look forward to the next episode. Thanks, thank Kath. You.